The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay now? Okay. So, um, I was chuckling to myself a little bit during this, this sitting with the thought that, you know, with everything that's going on in the news and the, the virus and, you know, should we, shouldn't we be kind of barricaded at home taking fistfuls of vitamins or something? No, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, seem, it seems like a, um, an interesting time to be talking about dharma and practicing dharma. Um, but it, I, it's also wonderful I mean, I feel like in in any in any uh, time in my life or in the world when there's difficulty, I feel so grateful to have a practice, you know, to have to have some way of uh, processing, processing, metabolizing, digesting the news, you know, all of the external events. And then all of the things that that stirs up in me, you know, emotions and feelings and thoughts. And um, I was also thinking that there is a, uh, there's an element of mindfulness and mindfulness practice that may be useful in the advice that, you know, that seems to make sense that, that you know, I've certainly read which is as much as possible, you know, especially in public places, to avoid touching one's nose and mouth and eyes. And the more I've, tr- I've had that intention to not touch my face kind of just unconsciously, the more I you know, kind of notice this pull <laughs> that I... You know, it's like, you know, don't think of a pink elephant and then immediately, you know, don't touch your face and then immediately I kind of want to scratch something. Um, in, the, in the style of meditation practice that I s- sort of started with a practice for a while, in Zen practice, there is this strong um, request not to move. You know, so you sit you find your meditation posture and you sit and the request is don't move. And one of the things that you notice pretty quickly is the, the impulse to shift and fidget and it's totally, you know, it's completely normal, completely understandable. And also the impulse to kind of touch and scratch and, and then you can kind of just let the itch or the scratch, you know, the, the kind of that, that feeling, how I really want to scratch my ear or touch my eye or something. And you just notice the sensations and notice the, 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 the desire to do that. And it'd be very interesting and very freeing in a way to, to see that we can have an impulse to do something and if there's, if there's mindfulness there, if there's mindfulness, if there's enough awareness and a certain kind of intention, we can really just watch that whole process. Um, so it, it's very interesting in meditation to kind of 
part of the path of meditation, maybe, is making what has been unconscious, conscious. So we're bringing what we haven't noticed into awareness. And then, you know, and then hopefully that that's, begins to affect our life and we're more conscious and more aware of what we haven't been aware of. Um, so anyway, I was thinking about mindfulness may have something to, you know, something, some way to help us respond and stay healthy. Um, and then, and then the other big aspect um, is is relating to uncertainty, relating to um, the uncontrollability of life. This is considered to be, maybe we could say, the primary insight in insight meditation is sooner or later we bump up against what, what's called, what, what the Buddha called, yata bhuta, which is usually translated from the Pali as things as they are. We come up against things as they are. Um, and, and maybe the implication in that is that usually we go through life not really seeing things as they are, but seeing things as we are, <laughs> things as things as things as we want them to be, things as we wish they would be, things as we think they should be. Um, so we, the implication is that we live in a world that's much more about. Um, me and ha- how I am, how I, ha- we see, see the world through the filters of self, the filters of our conditioning, um, which makes sense, you know. And we, we kind of live in a world of being fascinated by, mesmerized by, um, uh, you know, our, our, you know, our—it uh, sounds a little strong to say our clinging, but we—you know—we live in a world that is, uh, you know, in some ways, a world of dreams and fantasies and and anxieties and memories and and in the path of meditation in the path of dharma, um, sooner or later. Uh, we we bump into this experience of things as they are. Um, when I was when I was practicing at the Zen Center, there is a tradition that I think it was on I can't remember Wednesday mornings or Thursday mornings. A student would give a talk. And it was usually kind of a new student, someone who's relatively new to the practice. And the talk was called the Way-Seeking Mind Talk. And it was about, um, it, was, it was a little bit autobiographical, but it was you know, kind of introducing oneself to the community. But it, the talk was about how one came to practice. You know what happened in one's life, and you know, you know, whatever. It's kind of the story of one's life. How did? Why are you here? Why am I here? How did I get here? And in a way, every person's story was different. 
you know, because our lives are different. We had different upbringings, different families, um, different kinds of conditioning. But in a way, everyone's story was the same. And that it seems like it, at some point in one's life, we begin to um, question living in this world according to me. We begin to question the, the usual ways that we've been um, coping. Um, we, it, you know, it might be, you know, sometimes there's something that's dramatic that happens, you know, the loss of uh, some, uh, you know, could be the, could be the, could be a, a medical issue or the loss of a loved one. It could be some disruption in their career or life in another way or relationship ends. But it's like some disruption in the picture of who we thought we, we are, who we thought we were. And we start looking around and saying, well, wait a second, what, have, what how have I been, what, what have I been basing my life on? And does that make sense right now? Does that still work? You know, if my whole life was based on having a certain career or having a certain status in an organization, and then that goes away, you know, it's like, who am I? Or if my whole life is based on a relationship and, and, and kind of understanding who I am in the relationship in, in relation to another person. And if that relationship ends, it's like, well, wait a second, who am I? Um, so we start looking around. Um, in the, in the, in the maps of meditation, the maps of practice, this this experience of disillusionment or disappointment, or, di- or sometimes it's called disenchantment, is considered uh, to be a very, very important, very valuable um, stage of insight. Actually, you know, um, we we might. I mean, the, and, so, and so the 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 Pali word, the word that the Buddha talked about, is uh, nibida. Nibida, which the, the literal meaning is to find out. So when we find out something, we find out something about ourselves or how we've been living, um, we start to become disenchanted. The spell, the spell in a way starts to break. Um, and this can be a difficult time. This can be challenging. But it is... I think it's helpful to 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 know and to reflect that this is considered from the Dharma side a very important insight because this disenchantment, this disillusionment, you know, disillusion literally means to be, um, you know, to see to see to see through our illusions, and as painful as that might be. Um, that's considered a very, very uh, good thing. So in, in these maps of meditation, um, insight practice sort of, uh, I don't know if you say begins or something, with this, with this encounter with things as they are, this encounter with the impermanence, the changing nature of things, the uncertainty, 
the uncontrollability, um, the painfulness that that can bring up. So that's like the insight of insight meditation. And from that insight, it's said that um, what, what results is a disenchantment. We become disenchanted with all of the ways that we have been clinging, the ways that we've been resisting, the ways that we've been living in a kind of um, fantasy world. Um, I think we could say that maybe anyone who has um, gotten sober, you know, has at some point become disenchanted with, you know, to become disenchanted with my drinking, to become disenchanted with um, that, you know, relying on um, this 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 thing, this object, and you know, not necessarily. It doesn't have to be. Um, it could, you know, could be that kind of kind of addiction, but we can be addicted to many things. We can be addicted to worrying. You know, we can base our life on worrying, and and we we can be addicted to um, living our life and organizing our life based around how other people see us, you know? And what, and what is it to become disenchanted with that? We say, wait a second, you know, this is crazy. I've been living this way. And um, so it's a kind of a waking up. Um, we can become disenchanted with the objects of our fascination, the objects of our compulsion, of our attraction. Uh, pleasure, money, sex, you know, substances, habits of mind. Um, and that, maybe that's good to become disenchanted with those things. We can also become disenchanted with this movement of, the mu- of clinging itself, this movement of desire. You know, to be always looking outside of oneself and think like, oh yeah, my, my safety, my happiness, my security, my well-being is out there. You know, looking, looking, looking for, the, for, for, for something. Um, I can certainly relate to that. And I mean, you know, I've joked about this with, with friends, but different times I've gone shopping. And, you know, I remember I went shopping with, I mean, it's a little bit funny, went shopping with my Zen teacher. <laughs> we were in Japan and there's all kinds of goodies, right? And we were, you know, and he said, what, what are you looking for? And I said, I'll know it when I see it. <laughs> you know, this, just this kind of urge to go get something, to find something. Um, and then he kind of nodded like, oh yeah, I know. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> you know, so this, this movement of the mind, of the heart, to go, to look, to, you know, it's not to say that there's anything particularly wrong with any of these things. It's, there's nothing wrong with um, enjoying something that's pleasurable. There's nothing wrong with, um, with having money, having financial security. Um, 
but we can kind of feel the difference between um, the kind of healthy understanding of money and what it can do and what it can't do versus living my life in a way that I'm sacrificing everything else in the pursuit of more and more and more, you know. And, um, you know, it's to, it's to kind of to become disenchanted with that uh, maybe is a good thing. And so um, we encounter uncertainty, we encounter impermanence, change, uh, things as they are. And it's said that, that that leads to, that conditions this kind of disenchantment, this disillusionment. And if we stay with that, um, you know, what, some, you know, sometimes we can, we can sort of feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm disenchanted with this one thing and I'm going to just replace it with something else, you know, something, something, uh, something better, some better object. And we can go, you know, we can certainly go through that. But there can also be this movement of mind and movement of heart where we become you know, disenchanted with just this, with, the, with, our, with our clinging itself. And that is said to condition this next phase of practice, which is called, sometimes called um, dispassion. The Pali word is viraga, viraga, raga, is is sometimes translated as lust, but it really means this kind of compulsive greed towards, it doesn't have to be about sex, it could be about anything, but this compulsive greed. And V is the like negation. So this, you know, sometimes it's translated as dispassion. Raga also in, in the Pali has the meaning of a, of a coloring, a dye. You know, if you think about the way that our, our clinging, our, our wanting, our greed can color our experience, color perception. So viraga is sometimes translated as the fading of the coloring, the fading away. So, we have this we have this awakening to the way everything is impermanent everything is changing everything is uncertain we become disenchanted you know the spell is broken disenchanted with our clinging and then our clinging begins to fade our greed begins to fade you know so this fading away and so, even though this also dispassion, you know, the English word maybe is not that appealing, it's, it implies the fading of our um, greed, our aversion, our delusion. And the feeling of that is the feeling of, of peacefulness, of calmness, of equanimity. Equanimity is this balanced, balanced state of mind that can hold it all, that's not knocked over by the, the kind of, the winds of conditions, the winds of change. Um, 
And it's said that this kind of equanimity is um, is this puts us in a position where we can let go, or letting go can happen. Um, when I'm caught in a a self-centered dream, you know, it's you know the the world seems very fixed, very solid. My problems seem very um, unchanging, you know, because we're in the world of concepts. A concept doesn't change, right? You know, I can have the same thought again and again and again and again. People don't like me. You know, I'll never be happy. Um, the world is a dangerous place. That thought doesn't change. I can have that thought again and again and again and again. And every time I have it, it gets me crazy. It gets me worried. It gets me anxious. It gets me fearful. So the path of, of practice is the path of, of little by little beginning to let go of this filter of concepts and to be able to meet our experience directly. And the more directly we can meet our feelings, our emotions, our sensations, even though it sounds so simple, it sounds like what could that, what could possibly be the benefit of sitting here and just feeling this itch on my face and feeling this, <laughs> scratch it, scratch it, <laughs> listening to the mind, no, I'm not going to move, I'm just going to sit here, I'm just going to notice this. But in doing that, I'm having this direct experience. You know, the more directly we can experience this mind, this body, this life, we're seeing how it is. We're seeing its changing nature. We're seeing that it's not me. We're seeing that it's possible to have freedom. I don't have to scratch every single itch. You know, literally, metaphorically, you know, if I see it, if there's awareness, that awareness gives freedom. There may be some circumstances where it's fine to scratch the itch. It's useful to scratch the itch. Just like there are some circumstances where it's fine to be in the world of concepts, to be engaging on that level, to be, you know, maybe there are some times when it's, it's valuable to worry about something because that worrying stimulates us to act. It stimulates us to, oh, okay, we're going we're gonna to do something different, you know. So if there's mindfulness, we have the choice, we have the freedom. Um, but the more directly we can experience, you know, without the filter of concepts, we're, we're having this contact with tr- what's true. We're having this contact with things as they are. And in seeing their changing nature, we begin to become disenchanted with the story, the, you know, the illusions, um, the self-centered dreams. And that can be, you know, that can also be painful. You know, anytime we have uh, um, some projection 
or some illusion that gets dispelled, you know, kind of the shock. It could be the shock of, oh, I mean, I, I remember one time I, I don't know why this story comes up, but I was living in a shared house with friends, you know, after college, a kind of roommates. And there's a little bit of tension with one roommate, you know, as, as can happen. But there was something, there was, there was a, uh, something that, you know, the, the details are not that interesting, but I remember exploding in anger at this person. It was kind of like I threw a tantrum. And I was shocked. I think we were both shocked. <laughs> but I was shocked at myself. And it was like in that moment, there was this sort of illusion that was, that was dispelled of, oh, wait a second. Um, I'm, it, I'm not... You know, I'm not who I thought I was in a way. You know, I'm capable of this. I'm capable of, you know, being a three-year-old in this situation. Um, so anytime we we you know we become dis- our illusions, you know, there's a payoff to being in the world of illusions. It's safe. It's familiar. Even if it's painful, you know, it's predictable. Um, so, but the more we're able to kind of be with experience directly, we begin to see through illusions. We find out, we find out something. This is Nibbina, this is disenchantment. And if we stay with that, it can lead to this fading, this fading of our clinging, this fading of our resistance, of our avoidance. And, and, and this is said to bring equanimity, to bring um, this, balance, this balance of mind and this kind of composure. And to be able to meet what's uncertain, what's changing, what's not in our control with composure is, an, is, is a wonderful, um, it's a gift to ourselves, it's a gift to others. Um, so, so this is like this, this is the, uh, this is sometimes called the unfolding of insight, you know, we, this encounter with what's true and we, you know, and it's not like we need to remember these or make them happen or something like that, but sometimes it's useful just to to know about them. So if, if some feeling of disenchantment comes up, it's like, oh, but, you know, I know what this is, or I've heard about this, and, you know, this is not a mistake. It's actually, maybe, it's, it's a, an aspect of wisdom. It's an aspect of understanding. And... Um, So, so I offer this for, for, you know, for our entertainment doesn't sound like exactly the right word, (laughs) for our reflection. And it's also to say that, 
you know these for you know for some minds it's very helpful to have the map or a map you know the many different maps of meditation and practice but for some minds it's helpful to know oh yeah there's a kind of there's a there's an unfolding here there's a sequence there's a progression that that is very trustworthy that we can trust that so again and you know it's not like you go through these once and for all and then we're done it's like it's almost like a spiral we go again and again we get caught up in our dreams our delusions and then oh yeah i'm here they come back to the body come back to the the knee that you know, it's painful or the itchy eyes or whatever. Oh yeah, I'm breathing. And we reconnect again and again with direct experience to see, oh yeah, even though things seem really fixed and my ideas seem really fixed, everything is actually changing. And even even my thinking is coming and going. So, you know, so, so for some of us, it's helpful to to have a kind of map and then, oh yeah that's why we do this that's why we come back to seeing what's what's impermanent because that helps us to let go that helps us to get disenchanted um, dispassionate about what we were so tangled up with and that supports this equanimity and letting go um, so for some of us at certain times in our practice, it's helpful to remember, recall that sequence. Um, and then for some of us, it's actually, it's actually not that helpful. It's almost like I start looking for things. I start evaluating myself. Where am I? Am I, you know, is this really disenchantment? Is this really this? Is this really that? Um, I love the the expression that uh, Suzuki Roshi, the great Zen teacher, talked about. He said that practice is finding one's way in the dark. You know, and so it's being willing to be with not knowing. You know, in the dark, we we don't know which way to go exactly. And when we're when we're finding our way in the dark, it's like we can't go fast. We can't be reckless. You know, I read somewhere that most car accidents happen like within a mile of our home. You know, maybe one reason is because we think, oh yeah, I've driven this road a hundred times, right? You know, we're you know, so we maybe are paying a little less attention or a little little less mindful, a little, little reckless. So when we think we know what's happening, we tend to be on autopilot. But when it's dark, we have to go more slowly. We have to be careful. We have to be sensitive. You know, it's like if I have to get up in the middle of the night, like I sort of know where the stairs are, but <laughs> I don't exactly know. And it's like a little bit of like tentative stepping, feel the wall. Oh yeah, okay, okay. Now I'm more oriented. I know where I am. So, um, 
in, in Dharma, the darkness, the not knowing mind, it's, it's, you know, it represents a kind of uncertainty. You know, that's also an, an element of how things are. We think we know what's going to happen, but we don't know. We don't know, you know, we don't really know. And um, there's this artist, uh, some of you might know him, James Terrell. He does a lot with light. And he's really interesting. Uh, I think there's something at the, in the SF, uh, in the de Young Museum. I think those sculptures outside where you kind of look at the sky through this kind of circles. I think that's James Terrell. I went to one of his installations in Japan and it was in this old house. And you, what you did is you walked in and it was pitch black. And there were, and you just had to figure out there, there were benches and you just walked in and it was pitch black. And the instruction was just to sit there. You know, so it sounds like, sounds like meditation, right? You know, you walk in, it's totally dark and we just sat down and you wait. And after about five or 10 minutes, there's something with the eyes that slowly, slowly, slowly begin to adjust, right? You know, I, I don't know the biology of it, but I, I, I imagine it's that the eyes open more and more because there's such little light. Usually when we're out here and it's, it's bright, the eyes are really kind of controlling and filtering the bright light. So you're coming in from this very bright place to this totally dark place the eyes are so, the opening is so small, so you can't see anything. It's totally, it's totally dark. Then you just sit, we just wait. There was no instruction, there was nothing. And little by little, we started to be able to see something. You started in the eye, starts to open, starts to relax maybe, starts to perceive this shift, right? and begins to open little by little by little. And it was like, oh, wait a second. And then after about 15 minutes, I think the eyes relaxed and opened enough. There was this whole world there of shapes and figures. And it was like, wow, you know, I didn't see any of this before. And it wasn't something I could make happen. It was like this natural response, this natural process. And just to sit, but be willing to, to, to be there, be willing to trust that there was some, some value in, in, in sitting, in being still, in some value in having this encounter with the darkness. And, and in waiting, in this patience and trust, then this amazing world was revealed. You know? And I think that's, you know, that's, that's the way our practice is. We don't know what we don't know. We can't see what we, what we don't see. But if we trust, if we have this trust that, that there's something valuable here by being willing to, to, 
to be with ourselves, to meet, you know, the dark, to meet what's uncertain, what's, what's, what we can't know right now. If we can be with that and with patience, it's not about figuring it out. It's not about racing to get to, you know, you c- this was something you couldn't rush. You know, you just had to sit and, 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 and let this natural response happen. And then in this natural unfolding. And, and so that's this, you know, this willingness to be with what's uncertain, be with what's changing, meet it directly. And then, and then this beautiful process unfolds. Um, so maybe, maybe that's a good place to, to stop and thank you very much. And I, we have time and, you know, I'm curious to, to hear from you, how you're doing, how, how does this, how does this land for you? Um, yeah disenchantment, things as they are, disenchantment, finding our way in the dark. Tell us your name as well. Just so we My name is Peggy. And um, I have a bunch of thoughts and questions, but I'll just start with one and give other people a chance. Um, I, this is like really appropriate for me, I, I think. Um, I think it might be what's happening. But, um, you know, because I've always had goals and things, and lately I'm, I'm aware... I, I was kind of sick and in treatment for last year. And so everybody's like, so what's happening now? You know, what are you going to do? About and I'm kind of like, I don't know. I just, I don't have any big desire to do anything. I, I don't really know. And a lot of times I'm like really content in just the simple moment and, and what's happening, which isn't like my personality. Like I'm not like naturally this happy kind of person. But um, but lately, sometimes I'm like that. But what seems to happen is um, I'll have a period of time, whether it's a few days or a week or maybe more, where I'm, I seem fairly content in what is and not so much grasping. And I'm, I'm totally grasping all the time, like I'm a former addict, and I, I see that in my nature. But at some point, it seems like the grasping just comes back with, with like, a vengeance. Mm. And... Um, yeah, so I don't. I don't know if that's my fear of, I, I, of falling. I I don't know. It's just so strange not to have, like goals and ambitions, and it's almost like against what I've been taught, and and then I wonder if I'm depressed, and things, or if I'm getting sick again. I just don't have energy to be trying for anything. So it's it's like these other things all come in. And I'm not quite sure. If, that's what's happening if I'm coming to that place you said or not and then something gets in the way or my resistance I'm, I'm not sure but 
Well, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing. And I think, I think many of us can relate to that it can be disorienting when we've, we've lived a long time with, you know, may, you know, maybe it's a changing, changing goal or changing, changing object of, of grasping. And then it can be disorienting when, when that, you know, for whatever reason, that, that gets let go of. And then we're, we're, we're here, we're here with ourselves moment to moment. And it's almost like, you know, I don't know if it's, this is what's happening with you, but I can, it's, it's almost like the mind wants to grasp something, you know, and is looking for, it's okay, well, I know that's not going to work, but you know, there's something else, or there's something else, and there's something else. And, um, you know, I would just say that um, little by little, it's possible to trust that we can be in the world, you know, without having some, um, you know, without basing our life around some kind of grasping or some kind of clinging. And it doesn't mean we don't want things or enjoy things or, but it's like really seeing what's the difference between, you know, a healthy appreciation of X versus, you know, you know, this is, this is, you know, I have to, or this is gonna, only this will make me happy, or I need to, um, and then when there is grasping without, as much as possible, without self-criticism, without judgment, get interested in it, get curious in it, see what it feels like, you know, the, the more we study our grasping, the more we can, um, notice that even though it feels good to get what we want, we think, you know, you know, that some, of, some of these studies show that like the greatest happiness is ju- just before you get it. <laughs> you know, because once we get it, of course we're disappointed or whatever, you know, it's, it's oh, okay, what's next? You know, um, but like, even though it feels good to get what we want, if, if we're really present with the process of, of grasping, we can notice that grasping itself is unpleasant. There's an unpleasantness in that reaching out, you know, and, and, and just noticing, you know, and the more, but the more connected we are, and the more we notice that that movement of the heart is unpleasant, it's easier to let go of. If we think it's all good, it's all pleasant, why would I, why would I let go of grasping? But the more I notice it, and it's, oh, it feels so good to be at ease, to be content, to be, um, but, but yeah, thank you for, Good morning, I'm Matt. Um, so I'm about six or seven months into my retirement, and uh, my kids are off in college, and so I'm 
in that very interesting space of being past a lot of the shoulds that so defined my life. I should be pursuing this next milestone in my career. I should be uh, paying attention to this developmental aspect of my kids. Um, and so th- that's it's a, it's a nice space to be in. And um, but it, it's a couple of things are happening for me these days that I that I value your your, your comments this morning. One is that um, one does have, to, or at least <laughs> I do feel a need to to fill my life with things. I mean, I'm I'm a lot of my friends continue to work, and so I have a lot of time on my hands. Um, and so it's gotten me, it, it, it's helped, it's put me in a position of thinking differently, not about should so much, but, but about wants. Like I want, like I'm choosing to apply my time in direction of various wants. Like I want to take better pictures in photography. I want to learn more about the history of rock and roll in San Francisco. And it's all these, like they're, they're trifles and they're baubles, but it's the stuff that... I find myself paying attention to, and this is helpful for me to to think about. And and of course, I'm I'm also thinking about the, the the goodness I can do in the world on behalf of others. I mean, that matters to me as well. Um, this is also a golden opportunity for me to explore my practice at a deeper level. And I haven't really brought any sort of a structured approach to my meditation in the past. And so your your thoughts around maps is is something that I I do find interesting and and I'd, I'd like to learn more about that. Um, the term you used was it Yata Buddha? Yata Buddha. Yeah. Buddha. Uh, so I, I I live with that every day in the form of a two and a half year old dog. Yeah. <laughs> who I spend more time with now, and <laughs> as much as I want the dog to to mold herself to. <laughs> my way of walking around the neighborhood. She's got her way of walking around the neighborhood, and I'm learning patience and, and collaboration around those things. So just it's a space of the space of life that I'm in right now, and it affords interesting opportunities to, to, to pursue discovery around these things. So I just I wanted to thank you for your thoughts this morning. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing. And, and you know, I think my response is that you're in a very you know, an enviable position that you have, you know, um, time now. And, you know, and, and it seems like, you know, capacity and to to really um, engage your life in, you know, a full way, maybe, you know, um, a slightly, you know, when, when we're kind of freed from some of the responsibilities that we've lived with, um, you know, there, it's an opportunity for for maybe you know some uh, reflection on you know what what is the most important thing? What's the most valuable thing? Like, how would I? Um, what would be the the most meaningful way for me to use this time? And I don't think there's any you know clear, you know there's no one right answer. But it's, I think it's such a useful reflection. And, you know, some people I know have, um, uh, I remember Gil talking about when he, I think it was when he turned 50, that he went, took a, to, 
took a retreat by himself. And it wasn't a, so much a meditation retreat, but I think he went camping somewhere for a few days. But it was really more to reflect on what do I, what do I want to do with my life now? And now, you know, and, and um, just to take walks and to be with oneself. And, um, you know, it's, it's traditional, and, and certainly in Buddhist countries in Asia, that once, once um, adults are, you know, have kind of raised their children and come to, you know, a kind of closure on a career, then, you know, not everyone, but, but certainly there's this kind of well, well-defined path of then devoting a lot more time to um, spiritual practice and meditation practice and, you know, have time to do retreats and, and, um, uh, yeah, but that, that's kind of what comes up for me. And, and it's, I also think that, um, one of the, one of the blessings of meditation practice isn't that, you know, oh yeah, you just need to do it full time and then, you know, make that your whole life or something. But the more we can develop um, a practice that feels um, dependable and and close to us and a companion for us, that supports us in, t- in being present in all these other areas of our life. You know, so you may find that, you know, the more you develop a, a consistent meditation practice, whatever that looks like, you know, maybe it's coming to a talk once a week, maybe it's, um, then that also, that, that colors the way you engage with the people in your life. And that colors the way you prioritize your time. And it's like, oh, wait, yeah, wait a second. Um, sometimes I'll notice after a, a sitting at home, I'll just have all these, ideas. And it's not so much like great ideas of projects, but it's like, oh, I should contact this person and I haven't talked to that person. You know, it's like, it's just like making this space in my day, making this space in my mind to let in what's actually important, you know? And then it's like, oh yeah, I really should X, Y, Z. And if I were just kind of going to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken that time to kind of reflect. So, um, and then the other thing that comes up for me, and it's something that I've had to deal with, is to give oneself structure. You know, if you don't have any structure in your, in your day, it, it's nice for a while that might be nice and maybe maybe that's good but i know for myself it's like the if i give myself structure then good things happen you know if i just let you know kind of circumstances dictate then i tend not to do what i really want to do um so it, and it can be structure in terms of how we structure our time and also, like, you know, some, little by little, maybe coming up with some kind of organizing principle that's going to guide your, you know, some thesis, 
you know, this is what, you know, I have, I have friends who recently um, retired pretty young, you know, they're in their 40s and, you know, tech, tech guys. And, and I said to, I said to uh, one friend, he's a close friend from college, and I said, you need to have some organizing principle, right? you know, what you're going to do with your life now. And, and he reflected, it, reflected on it for a while, and then he realized that what he really cares about, what he really wants to focus on, is um, human rights and gay rights. You know, and this is like, and they moved to Europe recently. But in doing that, it was like all these things opened up for him. You know, these communities, these projects, you know, and it was like, oh yeah, and if this is, this is what I'm doing, then good things started to happen from that. So, um, you know, and it'll be different for, for each of us, but there's some thoughts, yeah. Hi, I'm Maggie, and thank you for your awesome talk. And I so many things I could say, but the thing that's coming to mind is I love this practice for how when you began your talk, it's such a sense of comfort and well-being just to know that you have the practice of meditation, and this idea that um, you know just sitting down every day to meditate. I say to myself, although I don't do it every single day, but that this is the most important thing I'm going to do today because I'm, uh, I'm a physician and I'm, sometimes I'm rushing to get to clinic and I say, I'm going to take this 10 minutes to meditate to just sit down and stop moving and be present. And I know that good things will flow from that going forward. And I also thinking to myself, um, you know, being in a busy clinic, um, you, you, you know, your whole attention and everything, my entire capacity is taken up by, you know, practicing medicine and seeing patients. But sometimes I, you know, it's a, I, I work in a very busy clinic and um, I sometimes smile to myself afterwards. I say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be be present and I'm just in the middle of all this like just it gives me like a sense of ease and it also kind of makes me chuckle a little because in the same way I'm sitting and being present and quiet in my home I'm also present for everything and all that's going on around me and sometimes you get whisked away like you say in your concepts but then later on you have the awareness of how you are operating under those concepts and so it's you're always going back and forth in those, in those worlds of maybe being in your concepts and then clearly seeing them and being aware of them at another time. So, yeah, yeah. Just thankful for the practice, yeah. really. Yeah, thank you very much, and I, and I, I I really appreciate that because it's sometimes we can get the idea that only when we're really still and quiet and that's practice. You know, and 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 part part of the freedom of this practice is is the freedom of being able to move in and out of the world of concepts. You know, there are times when we need to you know 
we're explaining something, we're thinking about something, we're solving a problem. And, you know, the more connected and present we can be, um, you know, hopefully the, 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 you know, the, the better we'll be able to respond. And it doesn't mean we, you know, we have to kind of, you know, if you're, you're with someone and it's like, well, wait a second, I need to breathe. And, <sighs> you know, even, you know, you're fully there and you're present and you're connected um, and you're in the world of ideas. And um, so, you know, I've certainly noticed that even with a little bit of sitting in the morning, it's like I used to think to myself, it's only shifted my perception like a millimeter. But that shift is so meaningful. And it's like, oh yeah, I, I can just, there's a different way I can show up and, and be there. So, yeah, uh, yeah thank you very much.